This is John Lamoureux from the Hustle Podcast on Retro Rock Roundup. to Retro Rock Roundup, the podcast where we talk about all things rock. I'm your host, Mike Wiles. Jeremy's off this week. He's doing some intense uh, college studies this month. Um, but quickly, I want to thank the band Primal Moon for writing and recording our great theme song. And you can find all their music on Spotify and iTunes. Check them out. They're fantastic. Um, but today, we're going to discuss the great career and albums of the legendary Doobie Brothers. And my guest to help me with this today, we have a great guest today. He's joining us. Um, he's a big fan of the Doobie Brothers, but he's a guy that has a great music podcast, and I believe for almost a decade now, the Hustle Podcast. And I've been friends with him for a couple of years because we play Name That Tune on Zoom pretty much every week for the last couple of years. And I'd like to welcome Mr. John Lamoureux. Welcome, John. Thank you, Mike. I'm so glad you asked me to do this and to talk about a band like the Doobie Brothers that I feel so strongly about and I feel are also kind of underrated. And this I seems like so the too. perfect podcast to do that on. It is too. You're right. They are underrated. Um, I think that, you know, you hear, you know, of course, I'm a big Stones fan. You hear all the Stones and the Beatles and stuff. But if you look at how many records, we'll get into in a minute here, how many albums they sold and, you know, their songs are still living on today that they aren't really as recognizable maybe as they should be yeah i have some theories about that that we can discuss when we get into it but um i'm hoping that we can remind a few people out there that the doobies are worth your time and investment oh definitely There's so much great stuff there really is um so where are you zooming from john i live in denver colorado um we've been here for boy 16 17 years something like that been here a while Nice. Three kids, wife, job, all the <laughs> usual, you know. Yet, yet you still find time to do an amazing podcast um, that you, you know, you get, you know, you like me, you get, you, get, you get some great producers, you get a lot of great things. Tell people a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, I've been doing The Hustle for seven years. You were pretty close with a decade, so about seven years now. Um, a long time, you know, back before I started, I just became sort of obsessed with the question of what do people, how do legacy artists pay their bills over time? What do they do? How do they make it last? And um, I had all these different ideas of what I, how I wanted to go about answering that question. But, and you probably relate to this, Mike, I'm a nobody. I don't have any connections in the music industry. Yeah. I got my degree in journalism from in college, but I didn't use it because there's no newspapers anymore really so and I live in Denver it's not like I'm in LA or New York where I have a studio that somebody would you know stop by when they're coming through town and talk to me so I thought how in the world am I going to get people to talk to me about this and uh luckily the idea of a podcast came through and and it worked I I was shocked to find out that now granted I will I will admit originally the the concept was to talk to mostly 
I don't know if obscure band is bands are the, is the right term, but bands who had a moment in the sun, you know, they got to, they released at least one major label album, or they played on the Tonight Show, or they had a video, or, you know, or they toured with someone, or there was a minor hit or whatever. I just, those are the people I was specifically wanting to talk about, but over time and over, you know, more success and getting bigger and better guests, we still cover that stuff, but it's just, now we just like to hear rock and roll stories. You know, you got a lot of you get a lot of good producers that you get that use good stories. And you know, it is amazing. Like you said, I have no connections. I'm just a huge rock and roll music fan like you yeah. yourself. Okay. Um, but, it, you know, Jeremy, and I started this, which is a little over a year. And actually, we're getting close to 100 episodes. Um, but, you know, we were going to just talk about topics. And, you know, maybe we'd get a guest. But, you know, we had some local bands, which, you know, it was kind of cool and fun. But then it was amazing. All of a sudden we start, because we're out on all the platforms, we started getting emails. I was just, I couldn't believe it when I got the email from John Waits manager saying he'd like to be on your podcast. I'm like, what? you know, yeah, really? I know. I know. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. And my thing, I don't know about you, uh, Mike, when I first had the idea, because there are a lot of podcasts out there that seem personality driven. Our friend, Pat Francis, you know, he yeah. comes from a stand-up comedy background. He knows how to make people laugh and kind of carry a show for a couple of hours with a fun topic. And I thought, no one knows me. No, who's going to care what I think about something, you know? So instead of, if I make myself the point of the podcast, I'm banking on people falling in love with me and I'd rather not do that. So I thought, well, rather than playing music for people that I like, what if I could get the guy who made the music to come on and talk about it? Maybe that's more interesting, you know, and thankfully that's kind of how it worked out. And I think uh, a lot of these people that we talked to, you know, you know, classic rock artists, producers, whatever, they love telling the stories and they love that there's still a lot of like a lot of them have been around for decades or maybe they had a one hit wonder or whatever. I think they like that there's people that are interested in their music. I agree. You know, and then a lot of them, the good thing is a lot of them are still making music. They can't get it out to the general public. It's hard to get it out nowadays. It doesn't fit yeah. on radio, but we're showing an interest because we're excited about it and we put it out there. And I think it lends to that. Um, and I think also, you know, uh, having Jeremy on the show, a lot of times now I've got myself and I've got my 19 year old son. And when he shows interest in it, they really love it. Yeah, you know? I agree. And you're probably like me. I mean, I, I really only have people on the show that, I think are interesting and who I like. And so yeah. they can tell hopefully that I love them legitimately. You know, our guests yeah. can tell that we take a, an, we're invested in them. We take an interest in them. Right. It's not and just like we're morning radio disc jockeys trying to, you know, provide content or whatever. We really care about these people. And so um, I hope, I think that gets across and hopefully opens people up to kind of telling you a little bit more and connecting. And I think you and I both do a lot of research. You know, the yes. artists you know about, but I mean, it takes, you know, if I get somebody that want to make an interview, I'm, you know, I'm going the next day trying to dig up information. Exactly. And they love that when you know things that, that maybe the general public doesn't know, you know, the deep tracks to an album or, you know, you know, some where they were born and, you know, yep. things like that. And that really helps them. It helps the conversation, but it helps them, you know, be warm up to us. Totally I, agree. Totally agree. Yep. So you were, but you were uh, originally from Salt Lake City? Yeah, I grew up in Salt Lake City for the most part. And um, 
we, uh, I graduated from high school in 1991. And a couple of weeks after I graduated, my family moved to England. We lived in Cambridge, England. My dad's job took us over there. Wow. And um, that was a real eye-opening experience, as you can imagine, going from, you know, I, I like Salt Lake City a lot, especially now, but it's very different, not as diverse, not as cultural, not as, you right. know, out there. And so you you meet new people and they challenge your way of thinking and you see the rest of the world. And and then I went on one of those Mormon missions that you see the Mormon missionaries out mm-hmm. there on the bikes with their yeah. name tags and stuff like that. I did that. I went to Michigan and then I came back from that. I went to BYU and um, eventually moved to California and eventually met my wife and eventually moved to Denver. And now there here we go. are. Yeah. So what were your influences in music growing up and, you know, that got you into this? Good question, because um, I've always, I will admit, I've always been pretty open-minded to just about everything. Um, I was less, probably because of a, you know, um, kind of a religious upbringing, I guess. I probably, I know that I didn't give what we would call now hair metal much of a chance back then. You know, I was not into Guns N' Roses and Winger and Cinderella and Def (laughs) Leppard and all those kinds of bands. Um, that was not because those were the kids at school that we would call the stoners, you know, yes, had, definitely. We had the same people, right? Yeah. So they were, they had longer hair and smelled of smoke and jean jackets and looked kind of, I don't know. They just weren't my class of people. I had my shirt buttoned up to the top and a lot of hair <laughs> gel and yeah. my pants were pegged and stuff. So I've always been, I've always gra- gravitated mostly to alternative rock. That's why moving to England was a big deal. Oh, so bands like Depeche Mode and the Smiths and New Order and stuff like that were huge. Nowadays, I love hair metal. And, uh, and I've grown to embrace it way more than I ever did as a kid. I get it now where I didn't get it before. And so, um, yeah, I mean, other than like hardcore rap and newest, newish country, I love old country and I love old rap music, but I pretty much will listen to anything, you know? I think that's where we kind of give a similar thing. We we'll try any new, any music. Yeah. There's a lot of things you like and a lot of things we've, I found out by with this podcast, though we call it retro rock roundup. We've been interviewing a lot of newer bands that are got a lot of retro in their music, but they're doing it in their own way and they're fantastic. And it's great to see that music's moving on. Yeah. Where did you find the Doobie Brothers in all this? Well, that's an that's an interesting thing that you ask it that way because I um, I'm fairly recent to the Doobie Brothers comparatively. I don't know if you're like this, Mike, but sometimes it'll hit me. It'll hit me like um, like I like everything I've ever heard from so and so. Why have I never investigated further? Why have mm-hmm. I never paid that much attention? And about I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever, about 15 years ago, shortly after, maybe after I got married. Anyway, um, I was in at Amoeba in San Francisco and their their uh, box set was there for like 20 bucks and I bought it. And I we went on a road trip and I thought, I like every one of these songs. Why have I never paid that much attention to the Doobie Brothers? I don't yeah. own any albums of theirs. I don't know anything about them. And you realize too, when you get into the doobies that there's, they don't sound the same. I mean, there's a, there's the early kind of country rock sound. There's Michael McDonald's R&B sound. There's Patrick Simmons 
folk sound. It's a little bit of everything. And you forget sometimes that a lot of these songs came from the same band. And so it kind of hit me finally, like, I really need to spend more time with the Doobie Brothers. And so I made it a point to get all of their albums. And, and I'm not an expert on like the history. I mean, I know some things, but I, I don't always know like who produced what or who's playing on what and when did this guy leave and that guy come in. I don't always know all the details, but they're just one of those bands that eventually it hit me that I'm an idiot for not paying more attention because I love everything they do. Well, and I think it's always kind of come and gone with me. And you know, when you, you find them and you remember them and then you go back to them because my, I learned music from my, I had older, I was the youngest of four, but there's nine years between me and my next sister, my sister. And so they were into stones and Bob Dylan and the Beatles, the big stones. And I think, and I kind of, when I was 12, 13, I started listening to my sister's stones albums and Dylan. And then they got into Elton John, which I got into, you know, they weren't really into the Doobie brothers, but then I started listening to the, just came about. And the, here's the weird story. I still remember, I was trying to think about it this week. So when I was in junior high, there were some kids in our junior high that had a band. And like, I mean, you never really thought, I heard bands like that they didn't have School of Rock and stuff, but they just played the gymnasium one morning and they were playing China Grove. Ooh, nice. You know, and I'm like, oh, that's the Doobie Brothers. I like that song. So I was like, and they were really good, you know? And, yeah. and I think I won, believe it or not, I won on a radio station, a Doobie Brothers great, the Doobie the Brothers king of that. Hit, yeah. You know, they greatest hits. And then I've kind of followed it everywhere since. Mm -hmm. Um and How old are you? Remind I'm me if you don't mind me asking. I'll be 59 next week. Next month, I'll be 59. Yes. Okay, so I'll be 49 next week. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is partly, this is something I was thinking about is I think people of your generation, um, I get the impression anyway that the Doobies were so big for so, kind of like in a, almost in a way of like Grand Funk Railroad. Right. You know, one of those bands that was so big and ubiquitous that maybe for a certain generation, they kind of wore out the welcome or maybe right. people just started taking them for granted or didn't take them seriously anymore. They were such, they became kind of wall, aural wallpaper, you know? Yeah. And thankfully, I mean, I like Grand Funk Railroad, okay, but I love the Doobies. So I'm glad that they've kind of had a resurgence, but I wonder if that's part of it, is that the generation that grew up with them got kind of sick of them after a while because they were so big for so long. Right. And I think I dropped off it because then the eighties came and they kind of split up and then they reformed, but I never really got back into them like that until I started listening to their older albums again. And I think, and we're, we've talked about this over text and stuff about favorite album, but in, when I was in like eighth, seventh or eighth grade, I got a clock radio, sixth, sixth grade or seventh grade. I got a clock radio that had an yeah. FM radio on it. I've never had FM radio before. And yeah. FM radio in 1976 and 1977 was awesome because there was a station in Chicago, WDAI, um, that played everything. You know, album tracks, their uh, their commercials were all read by the DJ. They, they, they commercial for rolling papers. I mean, it was just, you know, almost, you know, just a hippie station. But they would play the whole album side or they'd play all the you know, deep tracks as well as everything, you know. And that's where they I heard... Um, Another Park, Another Sundry from uh, yeah. Places album. I heard, and that's where I heard Living in the Fault Line because they would play all that stuff all the time. And I really got hooked on it. 
you know, and then, which we'll get into it, and, you know, the minute by minute came out, and I worked at Montgomery Ward when I was 16. I worked oh, I at Montgomery for quite a while. Um, and they would, we would be able to get for, they did it for about a year. It was a window of a year where employees could get tickets before they pulled tickets before they would go. Like, in other words, they went on sale at nine o'clock. You could say you want four tickets. They pull them right away for you. So you got good seats. Nice. It didn't last very long until somebody yeah. stopped it. But we got in 1980, some coworkers who also were Doobie Brothers fans, we got tickets to see them in 1980, the One Step Closer tour at Rosemont Horizon, which is the now is called Allstate Arena. But we had six row. Mm. Oh. You know, and wow. it was amazing. That was the, the, the last lineup, major lineup, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, so and it was an amazing show. You know? I believe it. I believe it. You know? I wish I had seen them back in their heyday, but I only just saw them for the first time last month. They, um, which is crazy to me. I, for whatever reason, I, I mean, they, they go on tour a lot, just about every summer with somebody, but either I couldn't go because I had something else going on, or I have to admit there was a part of me that was holding out hope that they would reunite, they would do, do a tour with Michael McDonald. Yeah. And I could, my first, I wanted my first experience with them to be perfect. You know, I wanted the whole, everybody who could be there to be there and to play all the right songs and cover the whole uh, career. And thankfully they, well, they reunited the year of COVID and I was planning on going. And then of course COVID stopped everything. Then they came back through Denver last fall, but my wife and I were on, on a vacation. I missed that. And then they announced they were doing a, a Vegas residency in the month of May. My mom lives in Southern Utah outside of Vegas. And oh, so, nice. yeah. So I said, well, look, why don't I'll come down and spend a few days with you. My dad died of COVID a year and a half ago. Right, so yeah. my wife, my mom's down there by herself. And I said, well, why don't I come down and spend a few days with you? I'll fly into Vegas. I'll the day of a show, I'll go see the doobies in Vegas that night and then I'll drive up and see you and that's what I did and it was perfect M Michael McDonald was there they played everything you'd want to hear they played it perfectly it was the ideal night I was so glad I waited because I got the exact experience that I wanted and I'm sorry I haven't seen that tour yet I think they're coming back again in Chicago I want to see it because I saw them in 2019 yeah 2019 they played they opened for Santana. They did a double bill with Santana, but it was no Michael McDonald. They did have Bill Payne on keyboards, and he sang "Taking It to the Streets." Oh, which it was okay, you right. know. Didn't right. come out, you know. And again, it wasn't the you know the Michael were like they were good. I mean, Pat Simmons was great. Tom Johnson, John McPhee, they all sounded great, but it was a shortened set because they were the opening for Santana and. You know, the, they just you didn't have Michael McDonald there. Yeah, yeah. You know? That that's why I held out. And I, I hate to admit this, I'm not a huge Santana fan, and so um, the thought of going to see them together was not that appealing to me. For instance, this summer I think Santana's touring with Earth, Wind, and Fire, who yeah. I'm also a gigantic fan of, yeah. and I'm not really interested in seeing Santana, so I I haven't bought a ticket. Maybe I should. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Santana. Once with a, like a double bill of Dylan in the like 93 and they were, you know, kind of cool. But when I saw them with the Doobie brothers, it's just like, it's long. 
it's a yeah. lot of just soloing and yep. it just gets dragged out. And again, Carlos is an amazing guitar player. There's no That's question it. about it whatsoever, but it just gets long and boring, honestly. That's exactly how my, I feel. In my opinion, way. you know, yep. so I know what you, I know exactly what you said. That's uh, exactly my fear. But yeah, no, I would have liked it. I'd like to go see now back again with Michael McDonald because I actually saw Michael McDonald played Elk Grove Village is a suburb of Chicago where my in-laws live about half hour from where we live. And they had some like free community concerts. They have some big names, you know, and they had Michael McDonald about four or five years ago. And I went, Jeremy, I went and it was, you know, he had a really good session. Bands were fantastic and he sounded great. You know, he wasn't Newbie Brothers, but it was good to hear, you know, in a smaller setting. So yeah, I'd love to see him again. Well, let's. Um, I would double check just to, uh, I would make sure, I don't know if he's, doing every show with them or yeah, some shows. So I would check for anyone who's listening, who wants to, I would check ahead to make sure that whatever tour or show you're seeing includes Michael McDonald, if you care about it, rather than just assuming he's going to be there. Cause I don't think he's there for every single show. Yeah, I think you're right. That to me, that's why you'd want to see him to me. You'd really, agreed. You said to see the whole package. Yeah. Um, but so the Doobie brothers, you know, they had 14 studio albums, um, six top 10, 40 million copies sold. Um, the Best of Doobies Volume 1 sold 10 million right there. Really? Yes, 10 million, you know, and 16 top 40 singles. I mean, you know, and songs that are still played today yeah. that keep on going. Um, I Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction in 2020, which to me was way overdue. Agreed. I don't know how they do this. I really, you know, every year. It's, know. You know, it's so you frustrating. Banging our heads about that. You know? I know. I mean, I, um, I, I compare them in some ways to a band like to an other American bands like Foreigner, Sticks, or those yeah. kinds of bands. And um, what is the hesitation? I mean, here's the, here's what, like, even if you don't, for instance, I, I'm not that big of a Bon Jovi fan, you know, right. I like, a, I like a few of the early albums. And then after that, I don't really care. They're not my cup of tea, although I like some of it. But I have no problem with them being in the Hall of Fame because my feeling is if we're not going to reward the biggest bands of a generation, then what's the point? You know, I mean, are we are we are we knocking them for being too successful? You know, like how how is that a problem? You know, that's the whole point. So maybe you're not creating high art, but you're changing the culture with what you're doing. And it's moving people and millions of people are buying it and you're popular. So what's the problem? You know? Right. And I anyway, agree. I think, again, I'm not the huge John Bon Jovi fan. My wife is, um, right. but I, you know, and he's keeps on going and he was huge. But my only comparison is, is really, he had three albums that are like blockbusters, which is fine. They've lived yeah. on and they're great. The Doobie Brothers had 14. Sticks had exactly. Sticks had album from 75, 77 to 81 that sold, you know, 16 million copies. So, I mean, it's very you know, hard to tell done. But I'm glad the Doobie Brothers got in. Me too. And to me, they're kind of exceptional in the fact that, like you said, they have these different sounds. And halfway through their career, they changed their whole sound because, you know, Tom Johnson had to leave with health issues they pick up Michael McDonald and the whole thing changes and then they even get bigger than they were before, which it's how many crazy. bands, it doesn't happen very often. No, it really doesn't. And I like those hits with Michael McDonald as much as any of them. The albums, I don't think are quite as strong, but still, I mean, that's what I mean is that you like the same band did 
taking it to the streets or let me the same band did what a fool believes china grove and black water those couldn't yeah. be three more different pop songs pop songs and yet yeah. they all come from the same band and i don't know that people quite realize that how there's a lot of diversity here and one of my strong feelings um i think one of the reasons why i love the doobies so much is because there's an underdog quality to them and you can probably relate to this it's just more fun to to get behind a band that you're rooting for because i feel like get, take like 25% of the attention and the fame that the eagles achieved and give it to the doobies yes. the doobies were better more to me anyway to my yes. opinion i know not every i mean the eagles are huge i get it the doobies have more diversity better hits better songs they're better people give them some of that spotlight you know <laughs> Why yeah. do we have to give it all to the Eagles for crying out loud? Anyway. Well, I know what you're saying. I mean, they have a diversity. I mean, we're going to go through these songs and, you know, you everything from bluegrass to country to rock to biker rock to, you know, great blue-eyed soul that's just fantastic, yeah. you know, and they've kept it going. And then, you know, I mean, you know, they switched Michael McDonald and their minute by minute it gets four Grammys. I mean, you know. It's crazy. <laughs> it is me. And they've had, all, besides Michael McDonald, they've had a, you know, a dozen lineup changes, mm -hmm. but they kept it going. I mean, from, you know, uh, yeah. Turan uh, Porter coming in after Dave Shogren for the first album, and then he stayed on. Yeah. John, if I want to, this is the one, my, I'd love to get a hold of Turan Porter. Me too. He's like hidden. I know. I, I know, and he's still performing, they say, like in small things in California, but there's no website, there's no Facebook page. I like digging, trying to say, you yeah, know. It's so funny you say that. He would be a, I would love to talk to him. And when I went to that show in Vegas and I was thinking, why in the world is Tehran not here? What does he have better to do than come do this victory lap with the doobies? I Apparently know. back in the day, like in, around the, I don't know, the late eighties, early nineties, he decided that they weren't taking enough chances or something. And so he yeah. left the band. That's according to, I think, probably to Wikipedia or some news article. Or something. Well, he left. The first time he left was right after the One Step Closer because they yeah. started the tour. I saw them and when they had those seats, you know, and there's not who's on stage, but Willie Weeks is the new bass player. Really? Like, I think that was his first show with them. Wow. Like, Tyrion had left and yeah. I apparently wasn't a good left at that point, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden, like, that's not... And they're like, they interviewed with Willie Weeks. They're like, holy cow, Willie Weeks. We know who he is. You yeah, know? yeah. So that was kind of neat. Wild. But yeah, so I would love to get a hold of him, but it doesn't seem very possible. <laughs> I know. But, um, yeah. and they started out originally, you know, as a really like a biker band. If you look at that cover of that first album, you know, I mean, you know, you got the John Hartman up front. They look like the biker and, you know, Tom Johnson. And they even said they used to play some rough places mm -hmm. starting out, you yeah. know. I believe it. Uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, Tran Porter comes in and they really change their sound, but then get more pop, you know, hooks to their music and take off, you know, and then they're just, they go like mad, you know. Yeah, um, but well, why don't we start with the first album? Okay. We'll go through the songs you and I picked and, you know, some of the things we've agreed on the songs, you know, we have different ones, but. Yeah, uh, I had a feeling. Um, the first one we both agreed on was Nobody. Yeah, that's so good. And yeah. um, when I saw them in Vegas, that's how they started the show was with Nobody. And um, I think something, one of the hallmarks that gets lost, I think, or maybe doesn't receive enough attention 
is the harmonies. They they have such gorgeous harmonies. Yeah. I don't it's I don't know if it's organic or if it's studio trickery or what. But when those when those guys come together and hit some of those notes, it's fantastic. And I picked a lot of songs that reflect that. And I just yeah. think that's out of the gate. First song in the first album is one of their strongest tunes, and it because it incorporates everything that makes them special. I think those early harmonies before my even before Michael looked down, they were almost yes. like shimmering. I call it like shimmering. Yes. It's like right. you're looking at like a, a beautiful lake, you know. Yes. That's what you sound like. So let's play. We'll play a little bit here at nobody. Nice. just sounds fantastic like it's a good way to kick it out i don't know why that didn't become a bigger hit i agree but when those ooze come in just like i mean here's what i i think about a lot with the music i love if you if you don't realize how special a sound like that is take it out imagine the song without the ooze and it's still a good right. song but it's just kind of a song it's just sitting right. there with those angelic ooze that just carry it through i love it it's beautiful and i like I always liked um, Tom and Patrick's guitar interplay. Mm-hmm. You know, that cool. just, it just sounds amazing, and that you know, yes. they just just a chemistry between them. And they're also their voices are both very similar mm-hmm. because when Tom left, together. yeah, they do. But when Tom left and Patrick took over, you could, he, you know, pretty much he sounded he did fine taking over with a lot of the vocals that Tom sang. Yeah. Um, the one I picked was um, "Closer Every Day." Good nice, song. good one. It is. Yeah. It is. Lower songs, you know. I um, 
it was it was i have to admit it's tempting for me to pick almost all pat songs yeah whatever reason those are the ones i gravitate to the most i'll save some more of my thoughts for the next album because i have more to say about it and and i really i gotta i mean i don't have this album this is one i really haven't but i started listening to it streaming it like i gotta find it's not easy available like the others not it's not like i gotta dig and find this because i really gotta get more into it because it's really good i you know it is it What's interesting sell. about it, I think you've read that Ted Templeman book. Yes. Um, yeah, I did too. Written by my friend Greg Renoff. Great book. Um, Ted Templeman in that book uh, expresses some regrets that he felt like this album, he let them down a little bit. He had high hopes for this one and thought it should really be good and it didn't take off and he kind of blames himself for some things, which I don't th- I think is unnecessary, but he more than made up for it with oh my the god! Next, yes. He kept every going album through all this. the the different phases of their career till that you know he exactly. he produced all of them. You yeah, know he did, and I'm sure there we'll get into it. But I'm sure there's a lot of tensions and different you know as the song was yeah. changing. You know, so yep. uh, the other one you picked was Beehive State. Yeah, I felt like I had to pick the. I mean, there are other songs in this album I like better, but Beehive State's Utah, and I'm from Utah. Right, yeah. I mean, it's a Randy Newman cover. So I'm just cheating a little bit, but. Of course. Plus, they rock it up. Randy yeah. Newman's version doesn't do this. Yeah. So I figured I had to pick it. Okay, let's check this out. The musicianship at all these are so good. There's no duds, really. There's no, no, you know, and they sound perfect. For a newer band, they sound polished. And, you know, again, Ted, I think Ted did a great job producing this. I do too. Yeah. I was imagining too, listening to that song and imagining them playing it in a biker bar, like in Santa Cruz, yes. or, you know, yes. in, the, in <laughs> Northern California somewhere. And you can hear it and you could imagine them just exploding live in the little bar somewhere you know yeah the coast yeah no i can see yeah the bottle being flown (laughs) yes that's it yeah you said there were some scary times there yeah yeah you know um the second album which is one that really broke from three through is uh, toulouse street um i said that right this time um you know i mean this thing i remember this as a kid because it was like that summer it came out and you know of course listen to the music came out Huge hit. I mean, they just changed a little few things that I think Ted helped them with was get some hooks in their music and, you know, their whole career changed. It just yeah. went, you know, um, Teron Porter comes in. Um, they now have the two drummers, you know, and they got that two drumming sound, which I think has always been signature for them. Um, you don't yeah, think of them as I a rhythm that, section band, but they really are. 
They really are. And that's one of the things that I think another one of these accents that like the harmonies that you may not focus on or think as much about is like the percussion. There's, you know, there's bongo drums back there. There's congas and stuff yes. like that. And they're not always up front in the mix. So they're not hitting you over the head, but they okay. are, uh, they are bringing so many, such so many layers to these songs that are making them, they're taking them out of just some straight ahead rock song and making it more diverse, more interesting. There's more to listen to and to discover there. And that's something else that I really admire about them is them bringing that percussion, those bongos and congas into these songs. Yeah, no, I agree. And it really is part of their signature. Um, the one I picked from this, and I love it. I love it because they talk about Jamaica. And I just was in Jamaica last week. So it kind yeah, of uh, is, uh, is it, is it, it's called Mama Lawai. It's This one. is fantastic. I love this. I mean, there's the percussion we just talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's it's fantastic. But one thing about their songs, and a lot of them, is there a lot of them are all sing-along. Yeah, good they, point. You know, like for the audience, that's a, even though they probably don't play that song, you can get the crowd into that song. Yes, very good point. I hadn't thought of that. You're so right. So many of these songs have aspects to them that you could just imagine a crowd going crazy for. Yes. Listen Good to the point. music, take it into the street. Yes. You know, there's songs that really, yes. yeah, they, they yeah. sound great. Yeah. I agree. Uh, uh, Toulouse Street was the one that you picked, which I like. Yeah. And I picked it. It's another Patrick song. And it's right. much like Mama Loy. It's just this great example of that finger picking style that he yeah. does so well. It reminds me of, I don't know about you, but I feel like those first two Crosby, Stills, and Nash albums are yes. like perfect masterpieces. Oh, yes, yes. And yeah. this, his sound, the sound that he gets in a lot of his songs, especially in the 70s, remind me of that. Or they remind me of like America, you know, like Horse With No Name or Ventura Highway and that kind of stuff. That just feel good, finger picking, partly folk, partly classic country partly rock and roll sound that he masters. And this yeah. song I just think is gorgeous. And nobody really touches like he does. I mean, no, really, he's got that sound that it's so good. And so original, nobody really has copied it, but no, you know, I agree. No. All right, so this is it. Shadows I cannot see 
faces they smile when I follow flee Doors without windows all shattered tight again I just might pass this way again I just might pass this way again I just might pass this way I just might pass this way again That definitely could be on the CSN doesn't it? That's exactly what I was thinking. And that might be his voice doubled or tripled or whatever. I'm not sure. But whatever it is, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, each line, the first line of that first verse is just him. The second line is him doubled or him with someone else. The third line is him tripled or with two other people. I don't know. But it just sounds straight out of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash playbook. It definitely. And it sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other song that we both agreed on really gets him, I think, gets him into their rhythm and blues uh, aspect he started maybe you would turn give a little of that influence but it's a cover of the birds right is with original uh or i don't remember who did this one originally it might even have preceded the birds it might be yeah. like i don't like a gospel song or yeah, little, i think the birds had covered it but you know and yeah. that's uh jesus is just all right with me and again this has got the drums in it it's got the soul kind of full music that they would approach later when michael mcdonald joined but uh, this, again, it just shows the diversity that they can do. And like you were saying, Mike, imagine a crowd full of thousands of people doing hey. that do-do-do-do-do part, you know, at the yeah. beginning and stuff. That's exactly what this stuff was made for. Yes. So here we go. of everything we've talked about you know the, the you know the sing-along uh the soulful harmonies but you know now we, it's total the percussion mm -hmm. the percussion you know, that's it yeah yeah it just kicks off that way you know we don't have cool. to rank all of them but this is probably my well i recently did a ranking of my of, yeah. of all the doobie brothers albums and i put this one in at number one and honestly the next four albums are pretty interchangeable to me. They, they sound very, they sound like they could be almost one album and that's not a knock. It's just that the quality control is so high in the next four albums, but I think this one might be my favorite. Um, where does this one stack up for you? It's in the, I would say in the top three or four, you know, I, I get it, it. I love, I love all of them. Like it was really hard doing this because they're like you said, this one and we'll get into captain of me and vices and Stampede are interchangeable. They really are, all good. they totally are. They're all good, they all have got, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And they all, you know, that, that sound stayed with different things they've added to it and stuff. Yep. But, yep. Yeah, no duds at all. You know, it's no. like they had to have a comeback or, you know. Uh, I agree. The next album uh, was Captain and Me in 73. And that really exploded. That was the one that's kind of lived in their early, their early albums. Seems to be like their, their most remembered album. And actually, when you were talking about how I saw that band, the, the high middle school band or junior high band playing China Grove, my oldest sister, her, well, her soon to be her husband, but it was her fiance, had this really cool record collection. He had the big, this is 70, so he had the big stereo stuff with the globe speakers were hung by chains in his apartment, you know, just wow. totally, you know, it was cool, you know. But he yes. had shipped to me, and I'm like, can I borrow that? <laughs> don't scratch it you know but right, I, you know, right. you know, like i got to hear i heard china grow my one year old whole album um they actually recorded really cool it's got like the highway uh, with the horse and carriage below but that's it was the highway in california that was either under construction or i know i think it got damaged during the uh, earthquake oh but really yeah, i wondered too i wasn't yeah. sure what it was and then in the 70s and they were rebuilding it and they filmed yes. it under that so yeah they always had i mean their albums are i, I love gatefolds they always did very nice Displayed yeah. a lot of these albums, they're fantastic. But this one here, you know, this one really launched them. Uh, sold two million copies, hit number seven. You know, so I was shocked that uh, Toulouse Street only hit number twenty-one. Yeah, I think they were. Um, I mean, it had some hits on it with like uh, "Listen to the Music's on there and stuff. But I think they were still gaining speed, you know, gaining yeah. traction. And it started to that one. Toulouse was sort of on the way up. This is sort of what enters their peak period and commercially. You know, when i look back and seen what i could try to find on older reviews critically they were just always ripped which i don't understand they were given a lot of shit from the critics and i don't know why i, mean, I know you know too popular they, or whatever that's what i mean yeah Those rock and roll academics the rolling stone magazines of the world just wouldn't give these guys credit much yeah, like foreigner or grand funk or sticks or any of the other great american yeah. rock bands. look at the great music um yeah. The one I picked on here, and this takes it to a different sound that we had not heard from the Doobies, but I think they do well, is Dark Eyed Cajun Woman, which is blues. And it really, you can tell it takes directly from The Thrill is Gone. Mm -hmm. If you hear the, you know, um, but it's done in their own way. And I really like this song because, again, it's a different thing. You didn't normally hear blues from the the, uh, Doobie Brothers, but it's in their own way. Seventeen. 
still incorporating their uh, mm -hmm. harmonies. And I'm not a huge blues fan, mm -hmm. but I like this. And I like how they use that Thrill is Gone influence mm -hmm. in it. And they do it so well. They do, yeah. Um, you picked uh, Clear as the Driven Snow, which I think I did, yeah. Again, it's another Pat tune, so it's got the finger picking. They yeah. played it when I saw them in live, and it was beautiful. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I like that it starts out as a um, traditional, I guess you could say, Pat tune, and then it kind of gets going and kind of amps up to something a little rockier. Um, there's that middle section, which he's good at those, you know, Black uh, Water has kind of that odd middle section too, where it sort of becomes a different song for a minute. This one's like that too. Apparently it's about, you know, too much drugs. At yeah, that time, I figured there's a title. <laughs> which is probably true for just about every 70s rock band at the time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's another example of the magic of Pat Simmons. Well, I'm glad to hear that they're playing songs like this alive and not just all the hits. And yeah. I think, and I think I'm hoping that our listeners will pick up on this and hear this music that they might not have, you, know, you heard the hits, but here's other great songs too. Yes. Yeah. Great. So this is Clear as the Driven Snow. so pretty it's beautiful and i don't think people know how what beautiful songs they have besides the hits you That's know and, and again it's still amazing they can do all this diversity it's from true. what a fool believes to this and it's totally still agree. you know it's amazing yep. you know. totally agree uh the other one you pick is uh, ukiah yeah this is another one that i think i it just has a really infectious chorus yeah it's a tom song and um I, as, as I've said, I tend to gravitate more to Pat's, but this is such a good one. And um, it just, it's, it sounds, it, it's probably because of the name. When you listen to John Denver, you imagine how beautiful it must be in Colorado. And I live here and I can tell you that it is pretty beautiful, but there's something about listening to John Denver sing about Colorado, like Rocky Mountain High, that makes you wish you were there. And that's kind of how I feel when Tom sings this song about Ukiah, California. It's like, man, that just sounds like an idyllic, beautiful spot to be, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's a beautiful song. Okay, here we go. Working with them. 
they're great at, like you said, see how pretty it is, but they, their music and their lyrics paint pictures that are very easy. It does. You know? Yeah. I love the, the brightness of that chorus when they come in together singing Yukio kind of, and uh, Tehran's bass line, walking bass line, boom, 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 going on underneath them while they're doing that. It's just a great marriage of sound and, and vocal. Yeah. And maybe this hurt them with the critics. So I don't think it's, a, I think it's a, definitely an asset is their songs are very positive. Yeah. They weren't, point. you know, the, the punk rock, they weren't the, you know, the heavy metal or the, you know, the more, you know, didn't deal with special certain things negatively or just, you know, maybe they were too positive for the critics. You know, they weren't, Probably. they weren't Lou Reed, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. you know, not to knock Lou Reed, but I'm just saying oh, that I know. for the critics that, you know, they were too lightweight, but I don't yeah. think so at all. Critics um, love the disruptors. Critics love the people that come along and shake up this kind of stuff. And yeah. I love that stuff too. Right. In a lot of cases, there's a reason this stuff was popular in, in the first place, because it's good, you know? Right, it is. Um, this next song I picked, to me, is my favorite of the pre-Michael McDonald Doobie Brothers. I, without You. Now, that was the B-side to Long Train Running. The reason I know is because I used to have the 45 of Long Train Running. And then I flipped it over and I'm like, well, this song's really good too, mm-hmm. you know? And it, I think it was an FM staple, but it showed up on their greatest hits. Cause I think it's still, so it, it, to me, this is the ultimate rocker Doobie Brothers song from the, this first phase of their career. Um, this is uh, Without You. <laughs> I love the guitar playing. I love that. You know, just, that thing just rocks. That is unmistakable Doobie's rock music. Yeah, and that's definitely the, the, still the biker influence that's rock. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, that influence. guitar tone is the same one that drives China Grove and right. everything. You know, that is the sound of a Doobie Brothers rock song right there. Yeah, and again, with still great harmonies. Yep. Um, but this album, you know, is, is a smash for that. You know, this is their big smash. You know, um, but I think the next album that came up, which I like, didn't initially sell as well. And uh, which is uh, what I got it right here. Actually, you're going to like this, John. I, I got a copy of this about two years ago. This is uh, What Were Once Vices Are Now Habits. But the neat thing about it is it had the original poster. In it. Oh, really? With the Dewey oh. Liner airplane. Yes. Yeah, all the fans <laughs> by you. Total hippie, you know, kind of look at psychedelic poster. I yeah. love that. You know, I don't even want to put it up. I want to keep it this, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, they kind of they were added some additional players on here. You know, Jeff 
uh, Baxter starts coming in, playing not as a full-fledged member, but playing some steel guitar. Um, when it first was released, the first single, which we're going to play, or that we both agree on, which I love. And again, this is, to me, the shimmering harmonies. Um, didn't really take off. Like, it stalled at, like, number 51. Though I remember, because at Little FM Clock Radio, WDAI played this all the time. Really? Yeah, and this is, we'll play this for this is another park, another Sunday. shimmering harmonies again you know it's it's so good and why that wasn't a bigger hit i don't know and at that point for a while the album kind of stalled but then i guess when i understand so a dj and i I can't remember where a dj started playing black water and it just took off and he started playing it and then it got and i think it was a b-side and he flipped it over started playing it and it takes off nationwide now black water again is that everything that's great about the Doobie Brothers, including the, like another sing-along song. Yes, yes. You know, you know it's, I, I didn't know that about Blackwater, but it makes so much sense because it's, it's a really odd hit. I mean, I right. think it's their biggest hit. I think it might have gone to number yeah. one. Right. I think it might have gone to number one and might be their only song to go that. If it didn't go to number one, I think it's their highest charting single. Correct. Correct. And, um, but it's an odd one. It doesn't sound like anything else out there. So I'm not right. surprised that it had it took someone else <laughs> figuring out that it had appeal than a record label person because they would be only thinking one way and right. someone a programmer would think differently. Right, and I think if they, the band didn't think of it as a single. I mean, I think the I think the record cover was probably looking for another China Grove or Long yeah. Green Running, you know. But this thing just takes off, and I remember I was a young kid, but they played it on AM radio all the time. Really? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was being played, and this is the legendary Blackwater. Mississippi moon, won't you keep on shining on me? Yeah, 
keep on shining your light Gonna make everything great Mama gonna make everything all right I want to move it to the end here because that's when I really get that chorus going. I think I can find it here. Mama, come and take me by the hand. Okay. Hand, hand. Take me by the hand. Pretty mama, come dance with your daddy all night long. I like to hear some fucking Dixieland. Pretty mama, come and take me by the hand. Like you said, John, I mean, that's just sing-along fun. But you know what, I don't know what it is about certain songs. And again, I this was a hit when I was a kid. That violin coming in, a fiddle coming in, I want to, it basically, I can remember things from my childhood just yes. from that fiddle. It's so weird. Yes. That does. Wild. Like, you know, it's that just wild. So different, you know. I think, uh, don't you have all boys? Yes. Oh, your, your kids are all boys. Um, so I, my oldest is, is a da is a girl. My daughter Georgia. I might get choked up. I have just the best memories of her being a little baby and sitting in my lap and me singing that song, "Dance with Daddy" all night long, and like you know doing kind of a patty cake thing with her hands, and she would love it and the big smile on her face. Oh, yeah, I miss those days so much. <laughs> yeah, you know? they grow up fast, John. I, I'm finding it out now. You know. Yes. I mine are 12 to 19 and they're just, you know, it's, it, they go fast, yep. but no, this is uh you know, I love this song and, you know, honestly, maybe you heard it so much, you get tired of it, but when you go back and listen to it again, it, it, it's fantastic. And again, it's a great crowd pleaser, man. It I'm is. Sure when they played it, the whole crowd got into it when you saw them. They did. And it was yeah. near the end. I think it was second to last maybe, or something like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I like this whole album. I think it's very good. Again, sure. they're still interchangeable with all the other ones. I don't think it's as hard rocking as some of the songs on Captain and Me. And that might have been the difference, but I, they're beautiful songs. They really are. Yep. Um, the next album is Stampede, which came out in 75. Um, I think they were trying to look for a rebound of a hit and things you have more of an up, you know. Um, Jeff Baxter becomes, though he's not on the cover of the album, he becomes an official member. I love watching Jack, Jeff Baxter play sitting on that chair <laughs> and just, just letting loose. Now, yeah. real quick, you heard about his story of him working for the Department of Defense? Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, so I, uh, Steve Dahl, the one Chicago radio guy, he has a podcast now and a few years ago, he had him on there talking about that. Really? You know? And I'm not sure of Jeff's political affiliation. He started with the Bush administration, but he's he's been in this position with all the other presidents, with Obama and everybody else. But basically, the guy is really a genius. Mm -hmm. And so Jeff joined, and we'll get that in a second here, but real quick, he after he left the doobies and retired from the business, he was still playing music, but would do things with um, algorithms and and how to do algorithms to with do better record songs. But his neighbor was his next door neighbor, some former army guy, and they got talking and about things. And Jeff did some investigating and apparently wrote a book based on a magazine how that he could that they could use these for missile tracking and helping the defense system. Wow! And he wrote a whole like a. a thesis about it that ended up going to a state representative who presented the department of defense and he the funny story was when he when he talked about it, he's like 
because Steve Dahl's like, well, how did they, you, you know, you're the guy from the Doobie Brothers. He goes, actually, it was kind of funny when they introduced, they said, well, we're going to have a, we want to talk here, talk to this guy with all his great theories on how he could do this. I think it would help us. Like, well, who is he? And he said, Jeff Baxter. He says, what, what area of the army is he from? What's from the armed forces? He goes, Doobie Brothers. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you know, but he's been doing this apparently. And like, he's got, got like national security clearance. That's what I've you know. heard. You know, so yeah. I don't know all the details about his background since then, but that's just pretty cool that he's got that. You know, that's it. very cool. I um, I reached out to him along a few years ago about getting him on, and I never heard back. Last I heard, I think he's a pretty deep Trumper, uh-huh. and which kind of harshes yeah. my mellow to some degree. Yeah, I know. I, I don't want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, so I haven't pursued it any further. But he's actually out there out on tour right now, doing his own solo thing. Um, okay. I, I, he was also in Steely Dan, or at least played with right. Steely Dan for a while. Right. So I wonder if it's one of those. I don't. I don't think he sings, so I don't know what the tour is. It might just be him. I think it's him playing songs from all aspects of his career wow. and sharing stories about it. Sounds like it could be yeah. really cool. Yeah. No. I mean, he's. And I love how he had to sit down to play. That was just his mm-hmm. style to play. Um, the song I like from this is the opening track, which is. Uh, Sweet Maxine. Also, Bill Payne comes in to play keyboards on the some of the stuff and kind of adds a whole little more of a dimension to it, the piano, which is yeah. featured in this. So this is the kickoff track to Stampede. more of the china grove type of yeah a song you know i like that just kicks out i like bill payne's piano in the beginning it, again it kind of gets still into that like biker type of music you know yeah. um, but it but goes the, into that um it goes into that chorus which is so infectious and there's that like bass saxophone going on yes in yes. fact i might reverse my song i the two songs i sent you one of them is take me in your arms which is a cover of a motown song we should play that one next because it the end of right before you cut off that the clip of your song, it started to sound like a Motown track. Yeah, and did, now here yeah. they are covering a Motown track in mine. Uh, it was originally done in the fifties, I think, by someone named Kim Weston, and then they covered it. No, 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 in nineteen sixty four is when the okay. original came out with Kim Weston, and then uh, Tom Johnston fought hard to get it uh, covered in the band, and they just loved it and did really well with it. Yeah, I one thing I, I re-listened to this again actually yesterday when I was driving, and the orchestration in it 
makes it uh, it's almost like a Motown song. Like it isn't just a rock band doing a Motown song. There's so many layers to this song and that orchestration sounds like it's an old school, you know, totally agree. recorded in Hitsville. You know, I totally agree. The magic, uh, the guy who arranged a lot of the strings for those Motown songs was named Paul Reiser. I think he's still alive. And that's the thing that, first of all, the song's written by Holland Dozier Holland, unmistakable. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the greatest songwriting teams ever. And then I think that's what really makes this song remind you that it's a Motown song is the strings. Like you said, it's those Motown strings that are unmistakable. It's such a nice, like, paying respect to where this song came from. And that was the strings and a Doobie Brothers song wasn't heard of before. No. But it works perfect here, and it was a huge hit. So this is Take Me In Your Arms. band that takes a song that sounds like the riff sounds like a doobie brothers riff and they take it to this whole next level that's so soulful it's so good oh my it's god so good i love you know, it and i like tom uh, tom's vocals are fantastic mm-hmm. now after he left michael sang this song mm-hmm. you saw the, the, the time and he did a great job with it i can imagine it's a soulful you know i'm sure he sure. was an easy pick for that song time. you know because he had that soulful voice to it but, uh, you know, I think Tom did a fantastic. And Tom wasn't known to be a, a soul singer. He does a great job with this one, though. Yes, yes. Um, the other one you picked was, uh, the, this, there's a lot of these in the feature in the Doobie Brothers, is uh, Slack Key, uh, I can't talk tonight, Slack Key, Silkwell Rag. And they have these, like, little instrumental songs, right? Yes. And they always feature their guitar interplay. They're so good. I agree. And I know that it's, almost not quite even a song but as you mentioned most of these albums have one of these on them and uh again going back it's a patrick song it's got his finger picking style on it there are other songs that you know have more meat on their bones on this album but i just think this is a beautiful little interstitial it's like a little break an intermission yeah, and they, and they had a, down the line the larry yeah. the logger they had it's just a total different area but it shows their i think they want to show off their interplay and how they can do something that yeah, this is very special, you know. Agreed. So here, here's, here it is.
I'm loving as we're playing these songs, John, or how much I really like, I and mean, I've heard these recently, but just, I'm so happy yeah. that our listeners are going to hear these songs. Me too. Because Me too. more people need to hear these great songs and they're fantastic. And I agree. Again, overlooked in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the other one I picked was also a, a single release, so it didn't do well because they said it was too long or of a ballad, but I really think it's a nice, great haunting song. It's uh, I Cheat the Hangman. Yeah. I, I, it's a kind of a dark song, but outlaw, getting in that outlaw image, you know? Yes. Uh, again, great harmonies, you know. Uh, this is I Cheat the Cosby's David Crosby, yeah, David Crosby singing that song. Yeah, good you know, one. And, and I think again, that's that whole those harmonies come through. It could have been on any of the scenes. Yes, good you point. You know, it's like Dark Star. It's kind of very similar, like Dark Star. You know, I love that song, but yeah, it didn't do as good as they want. Though I think it's remained kind of a, it was an FM staple, and I think it still stuck with it. But I really like that. That's a that's I do too. Good one. So. What I understand, Tom Johnson, you know, of course, it's a they're years and years of touring incessantly. They have you know, all these great hit albums and they're touring and album. I'm sure they're partying like there's no tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know. And he has some very bad health issues like bleeding ulcers. Yes. And he just basically says, I you know, I gotta step back, you know, I can't do everything I, you know, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, and I think they were at a crossroads, you know, and I think Jeff was the one that recommended. Michael McDonald, because Michael had sang on some Doobie Brothers albums. Some Steely Dan albums. That's what I meant to say, Steely Dan albums. Yeah. And, you know, had done some keyboards and vocals. But at the time, Michael McDonald was living above some guy's garage. Right. You know, isn't that (laughs) amazing? I know. And you know what's interesting, too, is I think he was like 22, 23 years old. This wow. guy with like the big beard and the dark shaggy hair so and everything, older. it feels like he's been 50 years old his entire life. Yeah. But yeah, he was like in his early 20s at this time, a yeah. wonderkind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but I think, I think Tom's doctors advised him to take a year off. I could be wrong about this. Mm-hmm. And so he was just like, guys, can I just have a year off? And they said, well, we've got these shows booked that we have to fulfill the contracts of okay. let's get Michael in and he'll do it. And then, um, you know, the songs that Michael wrote for the next album turned out to be the big hits and it would be for the next few albums. And so Tom didn't really find a place I will for himself. I will say I've always been under the impression 
that Tom and Michael didn't like each other or that Tom at least didn't like Michael because yeah. Michael sort of took over. But I think I'm, I don't think that's true. I think, and I'm so relieved to hear that. First of all, the Ted Templeman book says that that's not exactly true. And okay. they, they, you know, yeah. Michael will contribute a song here and there or a back in, background yeah. vocal here and there. And now this reunion tour. So I don't think there's any bad blood, which makes me so happy because I would hate to think that those two didn't like each other. And I think he must have been really in some serious condition to say, I got to step away from this. Right. You know, when they're at the top of their, you know, yes. top of their game. And I think they were having trouble coming up with songs. And they said, he kind of, he said, Michael, the guy kind of sheepishly said, well, I got a couple I'm working on. And he heard it like, holy cow. Yes. You know? But that completely changed that whole sound and the vocal harmonies changed and everything. All of it. But it took off, you know. And again, this album, Take It to the Streets, I love the hit songs. Mm -hmm. And I, for some, I don't dislike the album, but I've never gotten into the other songs very much. Mm -hmm. I probably need to listen to them more, you know. But you can't deny the power of these you know these songs and again here's another anthemic you know here's another sing-along great sing-along song yes. positive you know you know love your brother positive song and they do it so well and just change it up so this is taking it to the streets the encore when you saw him um yes it was it was i think the first song of the encore or the last song of the first part i don't remember but yeah you know something it's funny you mentioned the lyrics they're actually secretly kind of dark like he's taught you know he says you don't uh i was raised here in this living hell yeah in that first yeah. verse and the second verse he says uh um Take this message to my brother. You will find him everywhere, wherever people live together, tied in poverty's despair. And yeah. I think, really, it's it's almost like a political anthem that people don't know is a. It sounds like a party song, right. but it's really a a like a knock. It's like up with people getting the the oppressed and the poor and the impoverished to rise up against you know the the richer class and the politicians yeah, and all that kind of stuff. We're going to take it to the streets, you know, yes. it, uh, but it's, it's masqueraded. You don't necessarily think that when you hear this, but right. that's what it is. You know, it really is. Um, do you remember um, when they played the no nukes festival in, have you heard of the date in the late, late 79? Uh -huh. And this was the show. This was the last song they played. I've got these. It's like a triple album. The Doobie yeah. Brothers were kind of like the house band. They played for a lot of, background and played some of their songs but they played this as the finale 
with they sang it with James Taylor. Really? And, yeah. If I'll I'll have to get you if you ever look it up. I've got that's got the album. Yeah. It's an album you can't find anymore, and it's yeah. not digitally anywhere. But if, if you can look it up, he just uh, James Taylor does an amazing vocal in it. He like his part. He like just sings so soulfully. You know. Wow. You know, like okay. maybe that's on YouTube. I gotta find that. Yeah, if you look up No Nukes Taken to the Streets with James Taylor, it's okay. really good. Okay. You know, you know, they do it. It's a really upbeat thing. And it was again, you know, this is the end of this, you know, they were doing this protest thing for No Nukes, and this is the, the finale. I think Crosby Sills and Nash came out with the whole finale of it. But James Taylor takes a lead in a part of it and it sounds fantastic. Yeah. Oh, so um, good. That sounds um, great. The other one is It Keeps You Running, which is another typical, you know, very traditional Mike, Michael McDonald song. But it, it's amazing how the band just adapted to this. It really is. And the thing that I find really interesting about this song is that it feels like it's two very separate songs to me. The beginning sounds almost like a circus organ that this, this kind of carnivalesque synth uh, organ synthesizer sound, keyboard sound. Right. But then the, the chorus is, again, going back to the beautiful harmonies, slightly dark, a slight darkness to it all. Not, I mean, a beautiful darkness. And uh, so it's almost like these, these two polar opposites of moods right. and sounds merge together that you wouldn't think should go together, but they do. Yes. So here it is. Let me turn this off up here. This is... course get the harmonies because the harmonies yeah, are like yeah. the old school Doobie Brothers harmonies they really like, are so the way it is the way that sounds nobody that has never been in a Doobie Brothers song before that syncopating no. synthesizer and I think that Teron Porter's bass is so integral to that yes. sound, new sound 
Yes. It really comes Doesn't alive. that just sound like a child playing something on like the cheapest Casio yes, keyboard? You know? <laughs> and then it comes into this glorious chorus with these harmonies that sound has this beautiful darkness to it. It's such an odd song again, but it yeah, works. It sounds good. It's so soulful. Very His voice are just is so soulful. It's amazing. And you know, and it launches this album. Now again, the other albums, they're not bad songs in here. I just have never gotten deep into it. Mm -hmm. But these songs, it doesn't matter. These songs are fantastic. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I think um, I think really only Tom Johnson had to be one writing credit on it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I can see where he would, you know, it probably was really hard for him. Yeah. You know, but probably needed the rest. Um, but apparently he's rebounded really great because he looks fantastic and sounds fantastic. He does. He's great now. Um, the next album is um, Living on a Fault Line. I know it's not one of your favorites or you haven't listened to it that much. I think I learned it because it was a big hit on FM radio that I was listening to at the time. Um, it's also featured on the, which we'll get into the, the What's Happening episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for audience that don't know, and they can look this up on YouTube, um, What's Happening was a, sit, a sitcom, uh, a black family sitcom in from the 70s, uh, more of a comedy thing. It was fun, lighthearted. It was, it was a blast. It's really funny. Rerun and Raj and, you know, um, but also the Doobie Brothers were on there. And it seemed, maybe seemed like an odd pairing. And they even said, you know, we're supposed to be on this like show about righteousness. And we're, we're the Doobie Brothers, the guys that smoke yeah, a lot of pot. You know? Good point. Their songs had a lot of positive things to them. Um, and the story about is kind of corny, you know, with them with a bootlegger and they're trying to bootleg, re, they get bootlegger to rerun the record their show. And they play at their high school, which it's, we went to the, we, we just happened to go to all the way to this high school. And, you know, but it, it's really cool. And the live performances are fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, and here's the thing, John. In 1977, 78, you couldn't get live performances on TV unless you stayed up to see Don Kirshner's rock concert or Midnight Special. Yeah. You know, there was nothing. And so yeah. here I am. I kind of had an interest in the Doobie Brothers. And like, they're playing live on this show. Isn't that weird? Such an odd piece of pop culture history. And yet... There it is, and it lives on to this day. It's kind of a meme almost in some ways, but so well, fun. And they didn't play, I mean, the vocals were saying live. It wasn't like they just played over music. I mean, they played that stuff live. Yeah, not um, wild. And when I rewatched it recently, I realized why that they came in the, the while they were rehearsing, that they, Raj and the character came in to watch them rehearse, and they were playing, um, of course, they're trying to promote um, living on the fault line the album and they were playing the first single from it which is echoes of love now i've listened to this album over and over again it's one of those things that just hooked on me i'm not you know and that's why i seem to like it but to me echoes of love is the perfect marriage of patrick simmons voice and michael mcdonald's Ooh, singing together and their harmonies are again it says shimmering harmonies but yet done in the michael mcdonald's style but I think it's the perfect marriage, and I love this song. This is Echoes of Love. Sure. Since you went away. Wait, wait, sorry. Okay, okay here we go. Love. 
I just think that they actually sang together so well there, and it was really them meshing those two sounds, and it came together perfectly. And again, yeah. shimmering harmony, sing-along title. Yeah, it uh, it does. It does. I don't know why, but when I did my recent re-listen to everything to get ready to talk to do this, this one came in last for me, and it I had never put it in last place before this time. I've always been fine with Fault Line, and I still am. It, to me, it's a it's a three-star out of five album. I feel like uh, there aren't a lot of songs on it that really stick out to me. It sounds, you you what you were saying about the songs on Taking It to the Streets that aren't hits, I feel like this is an album full right. of that, kind of in a way, of sort of indiscriminate songs that don't really stand out that much. So to me, it's a good album, but it's the least interesting album to me. Uh, this last time I listened, next time I listen to everything, it'll go. It'll probably be different. No, I, yeah, I, I think it's it's all how we listen to it, when we listen to it. And again, yeah. a lot of it was I was hooked on it then, and I used to hear the whole album. If I got the album, I played it over and over again. Right. I, I think this copy here is when I got this is the original one I got from uh, <laughs> seventy nine, seven seventy eight. But you picked which the. You Belong to Me, which was covered as a hit by Carly Simon, which he also covered It Keeps You Running, too. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, you can find that on there, too. Yeah, so I don't know what, okay. the, what the thing was there. She was yeah. covering uh, Michael McConnell's new songs. Yeah, but this is really, a, this is where Michael, I think, takes it, like he does with Minute by Minute, that soulful is almost like a solo song. Agreed. You know, you know, he had definitely had a career beyond the Doobie Brothers, so yeah. You Belong to Me. saying like that no it's amazing and you know listening to that right then that song sounds so much like steely dan to me and in fact while i was listening to that i even pulled up asia because it reminds me of something that would have been on asia the steely yeah. dan album and they came out in the same year and so um 77 so i'm not surprised by that that yeah that song that maybe that's why i like that one from this album more than some of the others is because it sounds that could have that sounds like exactly what you think of when you think of steely dan at their peak which is that late 70s kind of you know in the 1980 vibe and it's interesting how that voice and then all of a sudden a couple of years later he's on call he's singing on everybody he's singing on uh robbie dupree let's break That's away right. christopher cross i mean he's like the ambrosia wanted yeah. the Ambr they wanted that sound yeah you know it's so undeniably the yes. one I picked, and to me, this, and everybody has a different opinion, I, I love the title track because I think 
it's what Jeff Baxter and what it was to me, it's the the marriage of Michael McDowell, Jeff Baxter, and the Doobie Brothers extending this out. It's very jazzy. Um, and part of their Jeff Baxter, this is what one of the reasons he left, he couldn't do more than for he just wanted to let loose. Uh, I can yeah, it's very jazzy. And again, this was the one they used to play on FM. I still like it all the time because they played it all yeah. the time. Uh, but this is the title track. This is one of my favorite Michael McDonald era songs. Sure. This is uh, Living on a Fault Line. Jeff wanted more sounds like that, that, you know, that, you know, the jazzier thing, you know, yeah. I think it's really cool. And it's something, and I think that, you know, Patrick Simmons starts singing at first and he's really almost got this soul, more of a voice like Michael, but his voice is changing to be more of a soulful yeah. voice and they mesh together. Great. But you know, you can hear, cool. you can hear Skunk's guitar so well in that beginning. And yeah. you can tell that he's loving doing, those jazzy chords and sequences and stuff like that. I wrote down that the the it's such a ghostly vocal. We've been talking about the the beautiful harmonies. This one has sort of a dark effect to it, almost like it's off in the distance somewhere. Or it's the other side of a tunnel or something. It just yeah. has this ghostly feel to it. It does. But I guess I listened to it a lot. That's why I knew it. But when we play our name that tune and I hosted it one of the times I played this and I got blank stares. Really? Yeah. I don't think you were playing that name. Nobody knew it was the Doobie Brothers or that it was what the song was. Oh, no way. <laughs> they kept they, they, they guessed Steely Dan. They might have guessed, you know, yeah. but yeah. So I'm like, really? You don't know this song? But I'm like, it's just something Crazy. that, you know. Um, yeah. and really I Tom Johnson is actually on the cover here, but I think he just does background vocals and you know he was pretty much out of the yeah. at that point yeah he didn't do much you know i wish and i just thought of this back in the late 70s in chicago they had a local show it was on public tv called soundstage mm -hmm. and it was taped in a small theater in chicago and they have different acts and that i've tried to find them and nobody has records of these that why they didn't keep them but they the one night they had is when he got better, he did a solo show. It was a Tom Johnston solo show. 
Wow. With his a band that he had put together and they played on soundstage on the channel 11, the public station, you know, wow. and it was so good. I was like, I think I was like 15 and I heard like, Oh my God, you know? Wow. You know, I would that, love to hear that. And I've tried to search for those old, and they, I don't think apparently they just never kept them, wow. you know, but yeah, that was, that, he, he was fantastic. You know, he, he was, he had, a, he had a song called, I think it's Savannah nights, a yeah. solo song that I love that track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, so that album does decent, but I don't think it, it didn't do as good as the others. But then they come back with the the huge one, which is Minute yeah. by Minute. Yeah. Um, it's it, interesting, this album, because I think it's actually kind of comparatively pretty weak compared to some of the others. Um, even Ted Templeman felt that way in his book. He was kind of surprised that it took off the way that it did. The hits from it are undeniable, no question. But I don't feel like it stacks up comparably to the strength of some of the other ones and it, it's interesting i had this thought <clears throat> um <laughs> first of all the cover is funny because it's it's like five dead tired guys and pat simmons just smiling like a little kid you know yeah, they could it's, all look tired you, you all know. of them look like they don't want to be there they're so worn out this has been so hard and there's pat just smiling big time, you know, so happy to be there like a good old guy, know. you know, but I wondered if what some of the success, one of the things that I think has been a little bit of a detriment to Doobie Brothers is they don't have a someone with a dominant personality, you know, Tom Johnston is not a big personality that's going to draw attention to itself. Pat is not like that. Michael's voice is like that, but Michael's personality is not necessarily like right. that. So I wonder if that's one of the things that's been holding them back. The Eagles had Glenn and Don and yep. Joe Walsh, and they had a, a million huge personalities in that band. Yeah. These guys did not. And right. that probably is what sort of kept them at a slight remove from everybody because there wasn't someone you could hook onto and be like, oh, I love that guy. He's so funny or he's so interesting. Right. So I wonder if having, if you pay it, if you look, the last few albums have not had the band on the cover. Right. The debut did, but that didn't go anywhere. Toulouse Street did, but it's in the background. That did that wasn't a big album either. So here finally, all of the guys are on the cover of the album. They look harried and and you know, harangued or whatever, but they look out of it, but they're there. And I wonder if that's part of the thing that was a that it served as like a hook. People could now say, oh, that's the faces of this band that I like, right. you know, yeah, maybe that was um, it was they said it was very, the, the very high tensions during the recording. I think they said that they thought that what a fool believes. I think they took like 300 times to record. They really they thought it's just not going to work. Yeah. You know? um, and, you know, Jeff wanted I think Jeff again wanted more jazzier stuff. Michael's moving him into the pop direction. And, and I don't think Mike's not like you just had a dictatorial personality, but he said in other interviews that he says, well, he would back in his mind. He's like, why am I doing this where I got to tell them what to play? I can just go hire session musicians, right. to get the song, how I want the sound to be, you know? So then they, and have you saw the back of the cover where they're all flying around is because they took them up on a plane. There, there's an article in Rolling Stone about this. They took them all up and they did a straight dive down. Really? And they're floating. Oh, I didn't know that. I got to yeah. see this article. Okay. Yeah, there's an article Rolling Stone from, you look it up back from the late 70s. Okay. They had it when they recorded cool. this. It was right after they, they split this and how they said that actually was a bit of a, you know, very metaphor of the way they were angry. They were kind of all over yes. the place. 
I can see know, that. Jeff is ready to go. And they said it wasn't a mean breakup. It was just time that yes. Jeff wanted to leave, you know, do something different. Um, they wanted the, the one drummer left, you know, um, and Michael was taking more control. And I think uh, Tehran stayed around for the second next album, but he just was tired of the, the traveling and the yeah. touring has gotten to him. But this album, I mean, it, it was very, I mean, the, the hit songs are great. Mm -hmm. and there's a couple other things on here. Um, we'll start with the one that was the Kenny Loggins song, which was one of the I think this is better than that one, than Kenny's version. Okay, I do too, much better. Yeah, yeah I think, but this, this one, you know, he makes it his own. So this is the hit that won four Grammys. This is... Uh, what a fool believes. such a perfect pop song it really is and i don't know how that you know the fans like accepted that you know the doobie brother fans i think because they've been slowly building on that yes but you know there's no guitar work in it no i you know, know. Ooh, i hadn't <laughs> thought of that you're right i don't think there is any guitar on there no you know it's all you know it's got that synthesizer seven yes. you know you said and it's got great hooks and of course mike's voice you know yeah. um but I think they, you know, but it, again, they couldn't argue with the success. How do you argue with, you know, you're selling a million copies here. So right. um, the one that you picked also, I think at the point that they did have, they somebody put their foot down and said, we still want a rocker on this. That's exactly why I picked it because <laughs> it felt like they hadn't, <clears throat> excuse me. It felt like they hadn't rocked quite like this for a couple of albums now. Yeah, right. And so, um, and as I said, I think Minute by Minute is a good album, but it's a little, little all over the place. That's yeah. it's kind of, um, but this is just a nice reminder that these guys can rock when they want to because they hadn't done for the last couple of albums. Yeah, and I think that uh, Pat Simmons probably been hate. We got to have a rocker. Yeah. And this is really, this is the B side of what a fool believes. Oh, was I mean, it? I, okay. I had this thing of like, like, okay, this is different. This is more of a rock. Nice. 
and it really is a motorcycle biker yeah. song. You know, it doesn't yeah. match anything else on the album. No, but it gets them back to. It reminds you of their roots. You know, yeah. so that's why I picked that one. I'm sure maybe Ted Templeman might have had the input on that too. We got to have something on here, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to me this was kind of the finale of it with you know their high point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I saw the tour and they released they so they bring in Jeff Lee, they bring in John McPhee who played with Clover, which was on Elvis Costello's first album, which seems a very weird, <laughs> different you know person to fit there, but he does. Uh, they bring in a, a, a key, another keyboardist and saxophone player, Cornelius Bumpus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they're really getting the jazzier sound. Yeah. You know, um, more R and B, more soulful, because that's what that's what Mike does really well. You know? Yeah. So he really he was pretty much taking it over. Now, to me, one step closer is kind of like that, where it is all over the. I don't. I I love real love. I think Real Love is an excellent Michael McDonald song. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't think the other, we'll play a couple, but I don't think the other ones really get close to that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I picked, um, well, you can go with Real Love and then I'll tell you what I. Okay, I love this song. soulful and that's just a perfect song that could have been on minute by minute agreed you know yeah the thing that i think is interesting that i want to kind of draw attention to is that this is their ninth album now some albums are not as strong as others but not one of these is a dud not one no i mean i don't think there there are i can't think of too many bands out there that have nine albums in a row that rank from good to excellent. You know what I mean? Right. Every, any band out there, you 2 even the Stones to some degree, no matter, I don't care who the band is, there's a clunker in there somewhere. Right. You're not going to put out nine straight good albums. And these guys did. Even this one, which is the, one of the less successful ones, is still good. It's still yeah. fine, you know? Yeah, I think right. anyway. But I, and, and I think you're right. And if, think about it is too, and bands don't do this nowadays. But no. they had releases in 71, 72, 73, 74, 75. Every year, nine, yeah. you know, for a decade. I mean, and lineup changes, health issues, you know, 
they stuck it together. I mean, that no wonder they were all burnt out. Yeah. No wonder they look like the cover a minute by minute. Yeah. That's it. But, but you're <laughs> so right. True. I, you know, and you're right. There, I was I listened to this again and I hadn't heard it in a while. And um I, you know, I it's gets gets good. It's it's poppy. Yeah. You know, it's not there's no again, very little guitar work. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all pretty much Michael's show, mm-hmm. but I like it. Um, this is mine what I like is uh, I think you do too, is uh no stopping us now. Yeah, I picked this one specifically because um, it was co-written by Chris Thompson, who uh, he also, you can hear him singing backup on this. He has been on my show. We became kind of friendly. He was the lead singer of Manfred Mann. He's the guy who sang, um, you know, Blinded by the Light. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So he and Patrick became friendly and around this time. And so Chris comes on, co-writes this song, and you can hear him singing in the background. I don't know if we'll get to that part, but I think it's in the chorus, you can hear it. And then yeah. you know, now you hear the vote, you hear his voice, yeah. it, you know, and they were bringing in a lot of outside people. Mm-hmm. They and were at this point. Yes. A lot of co-writers, a lot of, uh, you know, extra guys in the band, additional personnel, all that stuff. Yeah. The one I picked, I like is opens up. It's another Michael McDonald song, but it's actually co-written with Paul Anka, which I like, I know. How, like, how did that come about? I wonder too. Yeah. So this is dedicate this heart.
this sounds like a lot of his future 80s songs. Yes, that's exactly right. Good point. The one he yeah. wrote for the movie with uh, Billy Crystal. Yeah, that? Sweet Freedom. Sweet that's Freedom, one of my yeah. favorite songs ever. Yeah, I love that song. But it, sounds like, it starts out sounding like it does. Sweet Freedom. So you definitely yeah. use that. One of the things I like about that song, too, is that um, I, I always think of this song as, or this album as being a little bit ballad heavy. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, this is a, the songs that we played are not so much like that. And so it's kind of nice to throw in some of the more upbeat stuff. Cause if I remember correctly, this album has kind of a lot of, it's a little softer in tone. And in yes. Mood. And I think when you listen to this album, you have to kind of take it in that you can't think about it against Captain and me no. or even, you know, it's its own, it's, they did a total revamp of the band. Yes. Focusing on Michael McDonald because yeah. it had been so successful you know, yeah. and but if you listen to it in that way, it's a great album. It is. You know, and I mean, it, it's uh, it's basically in a lot of ways the template for Yacht Rock. You know, yes, it, like is. This, it really is. Yes, this is, this is why that's a that term exists is for albums like One Step Closer because this is what it is. And you know, it's funny those albums like this and songs didn't get the respect back then, no. but now they are. It's like a whole genre that's come alive. So, Agreed. you know, and then again. It was kind of sad. I, I saw the when I saw this tour. I mean, they were fantastic. You know, you didn't know the tensions or whatever was going right. to. They were ready to kind of call it a day. You know, yeah. but I think it was inevitable that they. You know, Michael was getting so big that he needed to go on his own. Right. Agreed. You know, and I think, but again, I think after ten years and nine albums it, with any band, you know, Patrick Simmons wants to try his own thing. Yeah. You know, maybe to a lesser degree. You know, the other guys are probably burnt out and it's like, OK, you know, yeah. and they did. It seemed like they did that last tour and it was and they had a live album that came out after. It seemed like they were all very amicable through the whole thing. That's the impression I have. I hope that's true. Yeah, I think so. Um, so but no, I mean, I think, you know, Michael went on to a great solo career, you know, and the other band had done different things. But then they reunited with in 89 with Cycles Without Michael. Yes. It seemed like it was still amicable, though, with them and Michael. I, I think so. I think by that point, his solo career was kind of in, you know, very much its own thing. And um, he didn't really need them um, at the time. And they're obviously fine without him. I, um, this was really, the, this was the first Doobie Brothers album that I paid attention to in real time because all the other ones came out when I was so young, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I remember very clearly when The Doctor came out and was a kind of a decent sized hit single. I did want to mention, uh, I, I don't know what you picked, but I did pick the, I picked the two hits off this album, one being The Doctor. And the reason I picked it is because it was co-written by a guy named Charlie Midnight, who I've had on my podcast and I okay. love him. He was, if you remember Dan Hartman, Right. Uh, who's saying like, um, I, oh, uh, I can dream about you. I can dream about you. Yes. And uh, instant replay and relight my fire and all these great hits. Uh, Charlie was his songwriting partner. Okay. They wrote like um, living in America for Rocky four from Rocky four, the James Brown song and everything. And so Charlie came in and actually produced this album. And I remember this album getting terrible reviews in Rolling Stone. And I mentioned it to Charlie and he was just saying how terrible he felt about that because he had worked so hard on it, wanted so much for them to kind of come back. So 
Dan Hartman is one of my favorite songwriters ever. Charlie is his songwriting partner. He does a great job of writing The Doctor with Tom Johnston. And so I wanted to make sure I paid him, you know, some homage to him. And I like this song. And I think, you know, the thing about with the critics is they, they never gave him a chance anyway. So I'm sure they're going to come back yeah. and like, well, you know. But yeah. I remember when this came out. Um, and I liked it because it was kind of like almost a little take. I listened to the music, listened to the uh-huh. doctor, you know, and I think the song rocks. It has a lot of good hooks. Yes, you know? And I, you know, I think it's really good. So this is the doctor. this just jumps right back into their old sound absolutely does <laughs> absolutely and out of the gate with the piano riff and the bar guitar sound and everything it just takes you right back to classic doobies but i think part of the problem with the success the lack of success and this is it was really not the, their sound was not there nobody was into their sound anymore i think it was True. great but i mean you had you know the late 80s, you know, there's new wave and electro, you know, all the keyboard rock and things were going on. And then all of a sudden the 90s starts the grunge and things. And so I think it just caught caught in the middle and never really had the audience it should. I think it's true. I I do think if you think of it, it's interesting to me because I think the 80s, if you really look, were dominated by a lot of 70s artists commercially, not necessarily artistically commercially dominated by a lot of 70s artists who readjusted to the 80s sound and made it their own. Phil Collins, Steve Winwood, Peter Gabriel, even Jefferson Starship put out, or Jefferson Airplane put out a new album. Crosby, Stills, and Nash are back together making crappy music, but they're doing it. (laughs) And um, I'm sure that bands like the Doobies are like, hey, if all the guy, all the bands that I've played you know, no nukes or whatever with back in the 70s. If they're having hit singles now, why can't I have one? Everyone right. seems to love what Steve Winwood's doing. Why can't I do that? You know, Eric Clapton, you name it. And so they probably thought, well, let's throw our hat in the ring. Everybody else is digging new music by classic rock artists. And some of it made its way through. Some of it didn't. I mean, I think this album did okay. The Doctor, I think, was like a top 10, top 15 yeah. single or something like that. But it just didn't have the legs that some of the other ones did. Well, and I think 
So, so they're going back to their old sound. So it's not the Michael McDonald sound that people were yes. used to. Last year they remember. Right. And maybe your fans that were the biker fans weren't listening to music that much anymore. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, they weren't into the Doobie Brothers or anything no. at that point. You know. Um, Good point. You know, so that's that, that could be part of it. And yeah. the second one you picked was, does it take me to the highway or need a little? No, it's need a little, need a little taste of love. love. Yeah, that's the other single, correct? It was. I think it's a cover of an Isley Brothers song. And I, right. I don't think I've ever heard the original. So somebody out there might have and says, how can you pick this when the Isley Brother version is so good? And it might be. I don't know. I really like their version. Yeah, this is good. song and again they jump right back into their sound so well they do. i mean they don't sound old they no. sound like 1974 or it's you know. kind of hard to believe that's a cover because the yeah. uh, tom's guitar chunka chunka sound that he that he does so well fits it perfectly you can't imagine anybody else doing it you know right. yeah um 91 was next it was a psych with the it's um no it's a brotherhood Brotherhood. Uh, yeah, this one I really di didn't really hear much at all, and I kind of yeah. listened to it recently. You know, I don't really get into this. I, what's your thoughts on this album? I guess. Yeah, same. I, I, everything from here on out. Um, I mean, these are not the album, the Doobie albums that I go to. You know, right. when I'm in the mood for the Doobies, I will say when I like I re-listen to everything recently, and all of them were better than I remembered them being. I will right. say that. But they aren't, you're not going to reach for Brotherhood instead of, you know, Stampede or something like that. So um, I don't know these albums by heart or as well. Um, and I don't, nobody does, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they uh, in keeping with everything we've said, none of them are bad. I don't think no. anyway. They're all at least three stars out of five, you know. And some of them have some really great moments on them. This album in particular, Brotherhood, doesn't sound uh, that much like a like a typical Doobie Brother album. There's a lot of outside writers on this yeah. one, but I I picked specifically. Um, where did it go? I picked specifically uh, under the spell because yeah. it was co-written by Jim Peterick, okay, your yeah, buddy yeah. from yeah. Survivor, you know. And so I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting pairing. I don't think that's ever come up before. I don't remember Jim Peterick being on anything before. So let's hear what a Doobie Brothers song written by Jim Peterick sounds like, you know? Well, and I think, I'm sure there was some priority, 
prodding by the label to you know, let's yes. get in with the, you know this guy can write songs that, that are hits so let's see if you know we can get to the next i the tiger this is under the spell this is actually pretty good Jim Peter influence. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's a good song, yeah. though. Yeah, I like it. You know, yeah. I, again, it doesn't sound, I, other than Pat's voice, I think that's Pat, it doesn't sound much like a Doobie Brothers song, but it's kind of a fun rock song either way. It's kind of a latter-day Survivor. Yes. Yeah, I thought were yeah. good songs. Yes, I, I love The last Survivor. couple albums were fantastic. Um, yeah. I like Dangerous, because to me, Dangerous sounds like a, almost like a Sammy Hagar song. Good one. Yeah. When I hear it, I'm like, it sounds like Sammy Hagar. This is like, yeah. this, this is dangerous. Definitely got the Hagar uh, influence. Oh, you're you're, you're muted. Sorry, I, I muted myself to cough. Um, I don't know if that was a single, but it definitely sounds like it should have been. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it yeah it, it was a good. I mean, it, I think it might have. To me, it was just a side, album in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I think it was not bad. 
I'm sure it only went up to it because actually we were talking about that. The, the cycles went up to number seven. So it was a top 10 hit. Yeah. But this one only gets to number 82. Yeah. And they're dropped by capital after this. And people just aren't paying attention to what no. the are doing. And I think that's when Turan, Turan said, I'm going to be done. I'm going to, you know, do something different, you know. And I think it just, you know, I think a lot of bands had seen it at that time. A lot of, you know, like even the 80s bands, Loverboy, Survivor, it just, you know, grunge is coming in. The whole thing's changing. Everything's over. Yeah. yeah. It and really it just, is. you know. But there's a lot of good music. It's, it's sad that it had to happen for a while. I'm glad it came back. Yes. I like a lot of those late 80s bands and rock Me bands. too. Me too. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. The song I picked, the other song that I picked is This Train I'm On. And Dangerous and This Train I'm On are both Pat songs. But yeah. neither of them sound like the Pat songs from back in the 70s. You know, right. they are. he's not contributing those songs that you know from back in the day anymore. They're different. They're still good, but they're different. So I, I'm glad you picked Dangerous because I wanted to go with This Train I'm On just to show what Pat is up to now compared to, you know, the black water and the so cool rag and stuff like that yeah. from back in the day. Yes. This is train of mine. tell the pat song but it's different it's not the totally no yeah. but it's i think not finger picking anymore these are more no. pop rock songs yeah when, and his solo album that he had after they broke up was more poppy than it i thought was. It was, i was shocked i know was... <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that there's it's called arcade and it's yes it's okay it's not great but there's a song on there that was a single called so wrong that okay. is very heavily synthesized. It sounds like it could be on like the Miami Vice soundtrack or something like that. I love it. And I it's my alarm and my wife can't stand it. So every <laughs> every morning it wakes me up and it but it wakes her up too because it's so kind of it's like a big rocking kind of heavy uh drum drum machine sound. She can't stand it. So on the mornings when like if I have to get up earlier than her, she's like, "Can you just change your alarm?" for tomorrow morning so i don't have to wake up to that garbage too anyway <laughs> I love it. i'm glad that you got you're not the only one whose wife doesn't always like your musical That's taste. <laughs> oh are you kidding she didn't like anything i like That's um, not true. but the um yeah i remember he was a might have been that one there was a mtv video he did and he has like yeah. short hair he looked that's you know it. like that's not yep. the patrick simmons i know no you know? Yeah, no. I think that that probably maybe he was trying to go for that '80s thing, but I think it, I'm sure he was. I think the other Patrick is the what people know. Yes, the long absolutely. hair and the picking and the rocking. You That's know, it. yep. Um, so they kind of go on a hiatus, and then they release sibling rivalry in 2000. 
which yes. I found the songs here on uh, YouTube. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. This one, believe it or not, this one was the hardest one for me to pick songs on. Not yeah, because didn't. it, first of all, this, this is more of like a soft rock adult contemporary album. It does not, it is the last album I would ever give somebody to say, this is what the Doobie Brothers are all about. Yeah. It does not sound like the Doobies at all. It sounds like very mature, AOR, soft rock. Like if, I don't, I mean, it could be, it could be Cher. It could be, I love him, Bruce Hornsby. It could be, it could be somebody like that. It's not the Doobies. But there are quite, there are half a dozen songs on here that I just think are really beautiful for what they are. They're, they don't compare to the other Doobie songs, but for what they are on this album, I think they're great. Well, I think the, um, you know, now this was without, again, without Michael, this is just, you know, yeah. um, but yeah, I didn't really listen too much to this album, but I did like the songs you picked. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So this one, uh, I think the Don't Be Afraid was the first one you gave me. Yes. And this one, um, a lot of the songs on this album are really long. They're like over five minutes long. This is one of them. Um, we don't have to listen to too much of it, but there is a definite earth, wind and fire vibe in the chorus. Okay. I don't know if there are, I don't, this album is not streaming. The songs are, you can't find the whole thing in one go on YouTube. Um, I illegally downloaded it years ago. So that's why I have it, but I don't know all the details cause I've never seen a liner note. So I don't, they could, for all I know, they could actually be the background singers on this. But right. it's sound, there is an earth, wind, and fire vibe to the sound, to the backup vocals on the chorus of this song. Okay, let me try this here. This is uh, Don't Be Afraid. Well, I dreamed I was standing in the middle of a river Someone waited on the other side My body shivered in the rushing icy water Cried out, but no one could hear me I tried to swim, but it was much too far Felt a hand pull me up as I was going under Somebody's waiting to catch you You don't have to be afraid Now baby Nobody really knows for sure Just open up your heart Someone will catch you If you fall too far Yes, definitely Do you hear what I hear? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when they went yeah, up those octaves on the background? Yeah. It yeah. just reminded me of Earth, Wind, and Fire. And that saxophone, I mean, that sounds like smooth jazz. There is no nothing like that anywhere on any other Doobie song. So I just think that's kind of an like an outlier, you know? Yeah. Kind of a interesting. They did that, you know. Um, and then the other one was uh, Rocking, Rocking Horse. Rocking Horse. Yeah. It's yeah. funny, John, these songs on the video, the cover of the video on YouTube, the uh, one song, Don't Be Afraid, is the cover to Minute by Minute. Like, they, they just tell people oh, ran. really? Yeah. <laughs> and the other one's just a picture of a train. Oh, okay. Not, you know, it's just different. So Yeah, is, I thought Rocking Horse was pretty good because it rocks. It's a little, yeah. you know, it's pretty upbeat. 
Yeah, here, this is, try this one. It is. You know. you know what's interesting too about that song? So that song and the other two songs that I was debating whether to pick or not, one is called On Every Corner and one is called Gates of Eden. Yeah. What's interesting is those two songs and that one are all written by Keith Knudsen, who's the percussionist, the bongo guy. Right. And he is not a songwriting presence, even though he's been in the band for 25 years or something by this point. He is not a songwriting presence at all. And yet three of my favorite songs on this album are written by him. And the other two that I didn't pick are even sung by him. So it's just to give you, just to paint another picture, this album, again, doesn't sound anything like a Doobie Brothers album, but I like it for what it is. And it's very different. Well, John, I tell you what, we played all these songs and they're all fantastic. I love it. We, I said, I don't think I could do this for an ACDC thing. <laughs> That's you know, so we, true. You know, there's so dude, every song. You know, I mean, I love ACDC. I love it, but every, a lot of all songs so similar in a yes. lot of ways. There's so much variety here. Yes. You know, and so I think our, the listeners are gonna. I think it's a treat for them because they're hearing some songs they might not have gone out and found themselves. I hope so. I hope so. Um, I was shocked that Liberté did not feature Michael McDonald. Yeah, I was kind of shocked by that, too. I don't know why that is, unless they just felt like they had something going. Um, You skipped over World Gone Crazy. I'm sorry, I I did, but I mean, you did. Let's do that one next. I'm sorry, World Gone Crazy. Yes, let's go back to that one. World Gone Crazy is good. It's got the the Nobody cover. They read. Yes. And I think I remember, because I wasn't that familiar with the first album, you know, and when the World Gone Crazy, something on Facebook showed up with them playing Nobody. And I'm like, this is a great song. They sound yes. good. I realized it was a re- remake, you know. Um, yes. But I think they sound good on this album. Um, I do too. Um, there's kind of a, um, like a New Orleans feel a little bit to this album. Yes. Um, one of the songs that I picked, well, so two, first of all, I'm a, typically for me, my favorite album or my favorite song on an album is almost always the first track. That is not necessarily true for the Doobies, but I'm always a fan of that first song because I feel like this is the band's opportunity to make a statement. 
suck me in through whatever you're going to say out of the gate. And so I picked the first song on this album, A Brighter Day, because I think it's one of the strong opening tracks to a Doobie Brothers album. Yes, I think so too. This is A Brighter Day. effect to this and i love the gospel part to yes. it again another sing-along how do they keep doing it for six decades later they're still playing great music it's so true and i love that steel drum feel yeah and i mean you mentioned having just come back from jamaica you can totally feel that vibe there's, oh, a, yeah, there's a cajun feel of like new orleans uh, jamaican voodoo whatever's going on you know that witchcraft vibe is kind of Buried in the gumbo of this song. They could have been playing that in the background of Sandals Resort that I was talking to. It would have been perfect, you know? I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this, this, it's just amazing. At high level, they sing, they're singing, they're playing. And though I've seen in a lot of bands, now it's amazing how these bands just keep going. Yeah. Which is great, you know? And, but the sad thing is people always hear these songs and they, you know, even with the concerts, they have to go and play the hits. But I think it's great to hear these. It's just something different to listen to. But speaking of um, speaking of which, the other song that I picked is "World Gone Crazy," yes. the title track, and they did play this song when I saw them in concert in May. Oh, they did. Yes, which I thought was really cool because they also, as I said, kicked off the show with "Nobody," which I think of as being on the first album, but the remake of it is on this one. So they, you know, there's not there's nothing off sibling rivalry or brotherhood. I don't think they even played anything off cycles on this. They did play some Liberté, but at least it's it's presenting newer songs like we're kind of doing here to the audience that is there for to hear the old hits, but the songs hold up. These new tracks are not bathroom breaks. They're not like dips in quality like some so many of them are. It still keeps up the level of quality that you're used to. Definitely. So this is the world gone crazy.
it's good that they're still recording. They're still amicable, even with Michael even coming in, and they can still get together. Unlike let's say like Fleetwood Mac, yes, you know who can't get together. You know, if too bad Lindsey Buckley, they could all get him and Stevie get along, and they could record new music too. You know, so that, true. You know, so it's really yeah. neat that they still are, and then then they can go perform with Michael. You know, yep. Uh, but I like this album, and I, yeah. I liked it when it came out. You know. Um, but again, I don't think it's sold like it used to, but I mean, at least it's getting out there for people to see. Yeah. And it's produced by Ted Templeman again. He I, returns for this one. Um, so yeah, it's solid. Just like all the rest. It's a pretty solid effort. Ted's amazing. The, the producer will think what he's produced from I this know. to like Van Halen, you yeah, know, I know. You imagine the tensions he went through producing Van Halen. I read part of it, the book, you know, it's, the book is nuts that way. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Um, anyway, well then, so they wait now until 2021 to release Liberté, you know, and I think by some momentum going with the reunion that was held back with the pandemic. Um, but, uh, you pick the two songs you picked are easy and cannonball. cannonball. Yeah. I like, um, both. Actually, I agree with them, both those songs. Yeah, I do too. And again, you know, this is a fairly new album. I've listened to it a few times. I don't know it by heart or anything, but, um, I, I approached this album with a lot of concern and hesitation because you just, there's nothing worse than when a band you love comes back with something new and it's awful, you right. know, just takes all the wind out of your sails. Right. It's such a buzzkill. And so I was really nervous. And I'll, I'll be honest, whenever a band names something like Liberty or Liberté or Freedom or something like that, th in this day and age, unfortunately, those are sort of politically charged words yeah, I know. which makes you worry that they're not they're on a different team than you are but i don't think that's what's happening here and it was thankfully a pretty strong album i liked it a lot yeah so this is there with cannonball yeah oh, it's cold outside and i know it's time up my heart, it's a long, hard ride. There's a wind that's blowing, such a lonely prayer. Gotta keep going now, I'm halfway there. Faces in the windows of the cars driving past, all holding on to memories and the moments flying past. I got ten more miles, and I'm there at last. My steel's running, yeah, my world keeps turning I follow this road where my heart's still yearning Still got the fire and the flame keeps burning I'm a cannonball shooting down the line Soul searching, whoa, whoa I'm a cannonball I mean, these things are such a high level and it's so well yeah. produced, you know I didn't look to see who did, who's producing this one. I can't remember. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, that to me does sound like an updated version of a Pat song from back in the day. Yes, it does. Don't you think? Yeah. The finger picking's back. That yeah. sounds like something Pat would do in 2021. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it sounds like this the, the sonically as good as their, their earlier stuff. I agree. And nothing that's, you know, like you said, it's not a Oh my God, that's a, you know, it's a dead album. It's fantastic. Right. Yeah. I think it was, uh, the song was co-written by John Shanks 
And I okay. think the album may have been produced by him, or at least okay. some of it had. Yeah. I'm not okay. sure. Yeah. And then the other one you picked, did I, which I like too, was Easy. Yeah. Um, it's just a strong, it's just another strong song. This whole album's pretty good. So yeah, I'm I gonna hear more. I listen to some of it, but I need to hear more of it. Yeah. playing this live and the audience getting right nobody's gonna run for a beer like you said no. that's a good song you can have a sing-along song it's upbeat yeah and it's got those bongos in it they if i remember correctly i think they played three songs off this new album at the show and again there was no dip for me anyway yeah. in quality no, good yeah. i would hope that you that the next album they can include michael i don't know how it's because they have now but at least they could do one more you know, before everything, you know, they, I agree. You know, I think it'd be nice to see that. But all this music, it's just so good. And it, yeah, it does. We, we haven't played a bad song throughout the whole no, thing. No, we haven't. Yeah. So, no, I'm really glad we did this because I really want our audience and, you know, listeners to hear this and go out and find this great music, experience the songs you heard, you know. I totally agree. I totally agree. More Doobie Brother albums, you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I just, I think they're a band that are, it's too easy to take them for granted because yeah. like you said, that greatest hits package, which is deservingly has sold 10 million copies. And I think a lot of people probably think that's all they need. And maybe they're even a little sick of some of those songs. Maybe they don't want to hear China Grove again, which I understand, but I hope that the case we've made here is that there's lots to discover outside that's what i love about bands like the doobies and hollow notes the hits never get you never get sick of the hits and the songs you don't know are almost as good and, right and that's why i think they're worth your time yeah no i think it, i think it is it's fantastic and i yeah like you said listen to this besides the doobie run though i've seen at walmart they have the i have the original one but the, they now they have this uncolored vinyl you know oh, really so, yeah so the kids are buying it so maybe they'll good. buy the other ones too good hope so they'll like this and research the others so yeah john thank you so much for doing this um tell people where they can find the hustle and john lamoro yeah so um you know we've been like i said we put out new episodes every tuesday um you can find us on your favorite podcatcher whatever that is um just search for us probably in itunes or whatever and we've i try to touch on just about every genre if you like whatever music you like from the 70s 80s and 90s chances are pretty good i've talked to somebody who wrote it sang it played on it produced it whatever i so go into the archives and look for something that you'll like yeah it's really good something. you can go back and find some great stories some of the producers you've had some of the uh, the uh, what's his name that played the drums for chicago and kenny loggins Tris. oh yeah tris imboden imboden those stories, that those episodes are fantastic. He's yes. just a great storyteller. Yes. 
you know, yeah. and it just, you know, he gives you all the background information on Kenny and Chicago. That's right. and, you know, it, it's just pure gold. So yeah. it's a great podcast. Please check it out. Um, I want to tell our audience they can find Retro Rock Roundup. Again, I, like the hustle on all your podcast platforms. We're on uh, Facebook also. We're on uh, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get podcasts. Um, and our website is retrorockroundup.com. So, John, uh, you're our guest today. What's our playout song? What's our doobie playout song? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> we should probably, you know, their playout, when I saw them in concert, they ended with Listen to the Music. Okay. And so why don't we, why don't we close this out with Listen to the Music? Okay. So we're going to close this out with Listen to the Music. I'll just have Josh edit, put, edit it in. So, again, I want to thank John. Thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you, Mike. We've talked about it for a long time to do it, and I'm glad we finally got our schedules together to do me this. Me too. Me and, too. Thank uh, you for asking me. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to our audience for participating and listening. And we hope you enjoy this episode and go out and buy some uh, Doobie Brothers albums or music, wherever you, whatever format you want, uh, check it out. And this is uh, kind of their signature song. This is Listen to the Music.